Hey, it's Melvin, one of your friendly neighborhood podcast hosts. Whether it's your first time tuning in or you're a longtime listener, consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever. Reviews are the lifeblood of the podcast world, so if you want to help us out, it'll take only a moment of your time. Otherwise, we hope you enjoy the show. You're listening to Cinematic Doctrine. Not too long ago, some of you may recall going to see a little movie called Incredibles 2 in theaters. Uh, if For those who don't remember, it is a sequel to the first Incredibles film. And right before the movie played, a short film about dumplings played. And it's great. And it's a wonderful little thing. <laughs> it's really and funny. It features one of the most shocking moments in cinema history. A woman eats a dumpling as her kid. And my entire theater screamed in horror. Strongest <laughs> reaction to anything I've ever seen, counting actual horror films. But everyone went away going, most people were like, that's pretty cute. And a handful of people were like, what the heck was that? And that person who made that short film, Tommy She, I'm not saying it. Was not sure Ari I'm Aster. <laughs> <laughs> this is just like his short film, Banchowson. <laughs> I'm just trying to picture the Ari Aster version of Turning Red. But the dumpling bleeds when you bite into it <laughs> and screams. <laughs> but that filmmaker went on to, after working as a creative uh, part of the creative team on multiple recent Pixar films, including Soul and Luca and so forth, has made her, her writing, directing, uh, producing like whole. This is a whole Dami Shi joint, as she's credited as both a writer, producer, and director on this called Turning Red and continuing the. Uh, the tradition of telling stories focused on Chinese culture. Turning Red is a story of 13-year-old Mei Mei, who is a Canadian-Chinese student. And this this movie is very Canadian, which is very interesting. And she has just turned 13 years old. And as the opening monologue tells us, she is now an adult. She's no longer a baby. She's no longer a kid. She is of the ripe old age of 13. She has her friends at school who are all awkward and weird, just like her. And she's excited to begin to strike out on her own, do more things on her own. However, as anyone who is born to an Asian family, the strong uh, heritage and lineage will tell you, myself included, there still are those vestiges of old culture and tradition in her life. In her case, she helps her mother uh, run the temple in her town, where she both is both the cute panda mascot for it and helps do the tours for it. However, as most 13-year-olds are want to do, she wants to do more things on her own. She's fixated on a boy band who ha- who is called Four Point, despite having five members, which for some reason is a joke that really works for me. Four Town. Four Town. Four Town. Sorry. And yes, it is very funny. <laughs> Consistently. And so the big... I always first... forgot there were five members. <laughs> Every it's so time. funny. I don't know why it's so funny to me. Uh, but she wants to go on a big concert with her friends, but her strict mother won't let her. And all of this is further complicated by the fact that around the same time that most children begin to go through puberty and her family, due to an ancient curse, now it's like a curse at the time it was a good thing, uh, the women in her family, based on their emotional state, will turn to giant red pandas. And thus sets into motion the events of the film where she struggles to control this or maybe not control it. Maybe she likes being a giant panda. However, there's a ticking clock element where there is a way to get rid of this curse. However, of course, because this is just how life is, it happens to also collide with some very important things such as parties and concerts. And so at a certain point, she has to make some decisions on her own, decide who she wants to be, who she wants to grow up into. And there's a lot of nice stuff in here about not forgetting and moving on from our culture embracing the things that make us who we are 
as well as coming terms with the inner cringeness of all of in all of us, mm-hmm. uh, while also showing respect and honor to your family and where you came from. Uh, this is definitely a kids' movie, and I think this is partially why it's getting such an interesting response. Where animation Twitter, which is to some extent, I think all of us have been a little spoiled by the amount of quote unquote kids media that also very clearly caters to an older audience or aims for level of sophistication and prestigeness. However, turning red is unabashedly unapologetically a movie aimed at a tween audience, which in some ways puts it in an odd uh, predicament or it's maybe a little more mature than maybe something for a five or six year old, but it's also very much a kid's movie. So a 30 year old man such as myself may not get as much out of it as a 12 year old girl might. However, I don't think those are necessarily marks against the movie. Those are just the things that make the movie what it is, which in a weird way also ties into what the movie is just bluntly also about, which is about being what you are, um, whatever that is, even if it means turning to a giant red panda. I really enjoyed it because I just like, I like Pixar films, I like kids movies, but also as somebody who works with youth who has a youth group filled with middle schoolers who act exactly like the kids in this movie. I thought it infinitely charming for that reason. And I also just appreciate the wonderful balancing act of being about something that can be a little awkward and weird while also making it not awkward and weird to talk about what it is about. So I quite enjoyed it as a kid's film. Uh, Melvin, what did you think about it? I thought it was pretty funny and it popped a couple of laughs out of me. Um, it's, it's very good. Um, I, I like that. It's sort of like, okay, okay, okay. It's not very good. I found a lot of stuff frustrating with the movie at times, mostly because a particular trope is just frustrating to me in general, basically like, so I have not ever liked the trope of, um, fish out of water. They don't do that in this movie, but the mom is a cultural fish out of water. And like the complicating incident in the beginning of the film is she essentially finds like, uh, May May's journal, and then just like s- assumes someone <laughs> is like it's a journal with a bunch of drawings of a boy that she just found out she likes, and they're just like pictures of him like a mermaid <laughs> with his shirt <laughs> off, and he's got there's like a picture of them hugging, but in the background there's just pictures of muscles by themselves, <laughs> which I thought was really funny. Uh, her mom then thinks, oh my gosh, this boy is coming on to my 13-year-old girl. And so she takes the journal, takes it to the boy and says, you're terrible. And I I get that that scene is funny, but I was so angry, which is I also what? maybe what <laughs> I was so angry at the mom for what she was oh, doing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And I get that that's part of one of the emotions that they want you to do because Meme is also furious but will not let it mortified just like this is a nightmare and that's what it is like it's a nightmare (laughs) unfolding on screen um that i i i characters that are so stupid (laughs) as the mom when she's doing things like that and she does like three other things in the movie that are that stupid um to me are are more annoying than they are um a good antagonist if that makes sense of which there really is no antagonist and i mean that very lightly like she's not she is the force against mei mei but she's not necessarily mean she's just stupid at times and that to me gets annoying very annoying um and so the movie at at some point though settles in really well for me and becomes consistently funny there's a current like at least in more art criticism fields as more women move into the field 
a revelation regarding the treatment of young women's media and how most of the time it's looked at as very considered lame or stupid. So something like like Jenny Nicholson putting out a video about the Vampire Diaries that's two and a half hours seems absurd, I think, to a lot of people. But then like as you're watching it, it's well, the show itself is absurd. But you're getting the perspective of like, well, why did first off, this show is ridiculous, but also here's why an entire generation of young women were totally into it and like how that is totally fine because guys will be into totally other stuff. Um, But because men are typically the ones in power when it comes to things like criticism, a show like Vampire Diaries will get very low ratings and scores. And so people will be um, shamed into liking something more. Um, I liked that in this movie, it sort of embraces things that are more natural, I think, uh, among uh I don't want to say the culture of young women. That sounds so stupid to say um, in terms of the words I'm using, not that it is inherently stupid, but like the idea of like girls hanging out and just talking about boys or talking about their favorite boy band or uh, drawing in their books. And it's just like, it's it's, the film respects uh, and gives validity to the experience of being a young woman, which makes sense because it's also a, a, a film written and directed by a woman. I liked all that stuff. And as someone who is able to empathize um, and understand all that stuff, as I'm becoming more um, understanding of that stuff, I I really thought that was fun and how it's displayed is great. And also the film is extremely funny because I think the film also has the tongue in cheek perspective of like, yeah, isn't it silly that we took all this so seriously? Oh yeah. Going to a (laughs) a boy band in sync concert that's when I become a woman. <laughs> like, like that's so funny. Um, yeah, the movie's good. I had a really fun time. I, I've been really interested after seeing it in hearing how people are responding to the movie just because of some of what I've just talked about. And also because the metaphor is pretty clear about like the correlation between, uh, turning into a red panda and experiencing your first period. So I, uh, the movie doesn't stay on that. Obviously, some of the comedy stays on there. Um, like when um, <laughs> Maymay's mom is just like Sneaking stalking in the school. <laughs> school, which I thought was funny. And then it's like, you forgot your pads. And it's like the worst thing you could have something. Somebody yell. All of, everyone in her class, including your teacher, went, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> And the audience, I'm sure. Um, like, uh, if there was an audience, Disney, if you screen this in theaters, this would, this would have done just fine in theaters too. It would have been really great in theaters. Yeah. Like all of the you you going off and saying how this is a kids movie, but like it's a family Disney Pixar film. These do great in theaters. So. These do great in theaters, and so much of what makes the movie funny would be the fact that as an adult, like these are all nightmares you had as a kid plus there's the yeah cultural uh, infidelization of the entire gen uh, gen y i'm sorry gen z and and millennial so i guess yeah gen y so then people would have connected with that when, too when i when i see kids movie, I, yeah i think i need to clarify like in my mind a good kids movie is one that a parent and a child can watch together and enjoy equally for like the connected reasons of as a parent you appreciate these things and then as a kid you appreciate things at different levels but it doesn't have a material. smugness to it because yes. like angry birds has a smugness to it that like was even, a smug movie yeah even like most dreamworks movies they throw in all these like jokes that are supposed to go over kids heads while i think a good kids film tells a joke that just works on two levels so like a good example is the the mom trying to sneak into school to give her kid pads as a kid you're like oh my gosh it's so embarrassing 
but as, and an, as adult, an adult you're like oh my gosh it's so embarrassing, it's so embarrassing <laughs> but like you also like man like i also probably have done some crazy things thinking i'm helping my kid but i'm actually embarrassing in front of everyone but like that level of like concern for your kid that makes you do crazy things versus right also i'm sure we've all had a mom that mom or dad or you know parental figure that did something super embarrassing but their heart was in the right place mm-hmm. versus like a character in like shrek making a reference to a movie from like the 80s that the kids have never seen <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. Have, weren't even born in time to know it existed so yeah hey there it's your friendly neighborhood call to action just checking in on you hope you're doing all right I'm just stopping by to say, you know, if you enjoy the show, you can always subscribe and write a review for Cinematic Doctrine. There's iTunes, Podchaser, basically anywhere you listen. You can give us a shout out with a thumbs up, five stars, gripping positivity. Or if you hate the show, you can say that too. Hey, what? What are you saying? Why are you saying Well, I'm not going to tell them what to do, Ted. They're free to do what they want. Our analytics say we got a lot of listeners in the U.S. and you know they love their freedoms. And you're also free to check out our Twitter. Very active there. We host polls, memes. There's also the Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group called Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group. If you want to join, just answer the questions, read the rules, and tell them the podcast sent you. Also, you should check out our website. Some really cool stuff there. Editorials, written reviews for movies we haven't had time to cover. Always check out cinematicdoctrine.com when you get the chance. Oh, uh, Ted also told me I shouldn't forget to mention the Patreon. Something about you can support us or something? Wait, Ted, I thought this was like a hobby thing. You want me to... expand cinematic doctrine. You know this already. Right, right, right. Yeah, I I forgot. I'm the one who put all this together. Yeah, cinematic doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you can gain access to early uncut episodes of the podcast. Oh, and did I mention, you get to tell us what to do. That's right. Each month you get to vote on a movie we discuss on the show. Anyways, I gotta run. So, I'll see you guys later. I, But all that to say is I'm interested to hear community response to this film because I feel like... Uh, well, first off, I've, heard, I've seen some interesting Letterboxd reviews talking about... One of which was really negative for the film, saying... Because the character's 13 and some of the events that take place, they felt that that was a little uncomfortable of how it's discussing and working through its topics. I I think they were engaging the the, the metaphor of the panda to be way too um, gender and genitalia specific to be. <laughs> I, I, so there's a scene where basically she's turning into the panda to um, make money. And it's like, get your panda pics and this and that, whatever. And I think they were thinking that the the metaphor um, was that the character They're reading is... way too much into that. I, I agree. <laughs> I agree. I, I completely agree. That's what I'm talking about. Oh is I gosh. think that, and this was a man who wrote this review. Um, I think um, I, I've been, that that is a, I, I think it's a bad take. <laughs> I understand <laughs> it. Like, I get it. But I was like, I think it's because they're staying too limited on what the panda represents, which to me just is... The panda is just everything that has to do with growing up because <laughs> yeah, it's part yeah. of her creativity. It's part of her uniqueness. It's part of her empowerment. It's part of her self-decision and discovery. So it's it's not just related to. Like, yeah, it's I, just that's so small brain to me. But uh, <laughs> well, I, I just I just want to. Yeah, before I guess before we get into like the general response to, to the movie, I I want to like also throw out throw my hat into the ring here which is to say like 
I did not have the same experiences as Mamey did. Neither for, did I. For a variety of reasons. But <laughs> I will say that like for me, the panda, well, it's one of those things that it's it works on multiple levels as a metaphor. Like I also am of the opinion that most superhero stories with like X-Men being mutants and Spider-Man, like those all those things have parallels to the puberty slash growing up experience. Correct. You know, where like the 2002 Spider-Man film or he wakes up and suddenly he's just buff and you know, he suddenly has superpowers and he's suddenly shooting webbing everywhere. Like all that <laughs> stuff is very on the nose, yes. but like it stays in that, like it stays in that context. And then for the rest of the movie, you're not like, this is weird. Why is he being puberty everywhere? You know, like nobody thinks of Spider-Man that way. This like, movie has basically the same sequence of she wakes up, she she's smells gross. Yeah. And she's like, <laughs> she smells gross. Yeah. <laughs> like all that stuff is great. She's too big for her body. She feels uncomfortable. She doesn't want her parents to look at her. Yeah. She goes to school good. and her friends support her because they've already gone through it. So like the one <laughs> just gives her deodorant. She's rubbing out her face. Like that was all awesome. <laughs> it's, it's cute. And, but like, for me, I think the panda metaphor isn't just about that. It's about there's just because there's so much care put into the fact that like their ancestor as a way to protect their family made a deal with like a panda spirit where she could turn into this giant panda to fight away barbarians and warriors. And so that's been passed down to their family. But now that they've moved to America, they want to put this away and they want to they want to seal it away and forget about it. And they see it's something to be ashamed of. I think the stronger metaphor is about the assimilation cultural heritage angle where this is something that their family wants to move on from and put away in order to assimilate into society. While May May is at a point in her life where she's like, maybe I don't want to put, maybe I don't want to get rid of this. Maybe this is something I'm proud of. And so that's the stronger metaphor here is she, well, I don't want to say stronger as in like overpowers it, but I think that's the dual way that this story is about. And that's uh, granted. That's, this is where I connected with the film where, you know, there's this level where like, yeah, like, I'm an American. I spent I've spent the overwhelming majority of my life in America. That doesn't mean I'm not Japanese. That doesn't mean like or that doesn't mean like the cultures that my families are from stop being valid or things I should be ashamed of. These are the things that make me who I am. And that's sort of the same arc that Mamie is going through. To like think that this is just about one thing and then to view everything in the movie through one that one lens. Yeah, it's, it's I don't think that works. But also I was so glad when they didn't do the cliche thing where the whole movie is just her trying not to turn a panda in front of people. I sighed in relief because she's a giant panda and the other girls see her and, and they're like, this is great. This is adorable. <laughs> she's so cute. Red panda. And my wife you could have my soul. <laughs> yeah. My wife who was watching this. was like, good. Cause this is what actually kids would do. If they're friends yeah. of a giant panda, they'd be like, this is awesome. And so the whole movie. What else want- can you do? They do. It's the Shazam thing. Yeah, they have. Yeah. They basically have a montage where it's like, yeah, but what are your powers? What do you mean, my powers? Well, like you have powers, right? <laughs> so then they do it. It's, it's great. I'm so yeah. I'm so glad that they avoid the the lame overuse tropes in this regard. Of course, they're kids, and their big idea is to use to raise money to go to a boy band show. <laughs> they do, they want to yeah. see, which I just want to comment briefly that I love the sort of K-popification of the way people view pop music because like half of the guys in this group look kind of like different k-pop stars which i thought was cute it's like i just felt myself aging a hundred years watching this where i was just like i remember hansen well like a character starts drinking bubble tea and i'm like no way not in 2002 and then my wife's like yeah but they're in canada i guess maybe they live in a different world (laughs) yeah like yeah what (laughs) okay 
this 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 is this is the world we live in now, Melvin. People, the export of uh, K-pop culture. Pastel colors were not popular in 2002, but I suppose I can accept it. Yeah, Tamagotchi. Could you imagine if my review was this movie's too inaccurate to 2002? <laughs> Actually, people still time. talk about Panda Apocalypse. It's 2002. <laughs> I think they're talking about another disaster. What are you talking about, buddy? <laughs> That's this is the only one I can think of. Uh... <laughs> 9-11 jokes and my Christian podcast? What? It's It's been 20-something years, I guess. If Arrested Development can do it like two years later, then I can do it 20 years later. <laughs> but yeah, I like I like that the cute big idea of what to do with your friend who has unfathomable abilities all of a sudden is to raise money to go to a concert. Because of course, when you're 13, that's the most important thing in the whole wide world. I love her friends. Her friends are really funny and they're supportive in a very wholesome way, but they also, also have very distinct personalities. And they're all very realistic for this age group and just everything about it. Like I just, it was so nice to see a movie where all the kids acted like kids. They're not acting like an idealized version of this age. Mm-hmm. They're not acting like tiny adults, basically making adult level jokes and comments. These are kids. They act like kids. The way they view the world is like kids. And it was just, to me, it just both makes the story stronger and it makes the metaphors they are working with stronger because the way everyone's reacting to the situations make sense. Like, I, like I, nobody did something in this for me. Nobody did something in this movie that made me just like bang my head against the wall because it's so annoying. Like I thought everyone was kind of acting the way they probably would in these types of situations, mm-hmm. and so that was all really fresh to me. Which to get to circle back to your initial question, which is how did everyone react? With all this in mind, how did everyone react to it? Um, there are three general reactions I'm seeing. First, uh, critics are overwhelmingly positive on this movie. But uh, the audience scores have been noticeably lower. They're not like 30% or whatever, but they're pretty low. And so they're, <laughs> I'm going to use this opportunity to talk about something that I thought was very weird for a long time. But it's finally come to manifest for Terry Gret, which is animation Twitter is its own little world. Uh, I would say adjacent to film Twitter, but there's people who just, they watch every cartoon that comes out. They're talking about shows like the ghost and Molly McGee, which unless you either are a kid have kids or are on animation Twitter, you've never heard of it. And one thing, this is something that blew my mind. I don't know why it took me so by surprise, but it's something I never even considered, which is two, I'm not going to name them, but two extremely prominent animation people. They have have YouTube channels with around a million views, uh, sorry, subs. They have lots of followers. They were having a conversation about how they don't like kids and they never plan on having kids. And it blew my mind. So it, these people that watch kids shows almost exclusively for a living are yeah. like, I don't want to have children. They don't want to have children. What are they doomers? They don't like. Are they doomers? I don't know. They just, but they don't like kids. And it just, for that moment, it clicked for me. It's just like. That's strange. Oh, all these people that like, they, all they talk about is kids media. <laughs> they, they make money off kids media. This is their thing, but they don't like kids. This is kind of weird. That's also I don't very I don't, sad. I don't like, want to judge anyone, but like to me, it just struck me as odd. I mean, granted, I, I have had a what you would consider a more traditional nuclear family upbringing, raised in the church, you know, whatever. But to me, it struck me as very odd. And so it, it did not surprise me that much that of animated film that is unapologetically, unapologetically for families and children like this is a family film this is a children's film they're not making inappropriate jokes they're not making pop culture references really outside of the boy band thing. they're not kids like euphoria where they go kill people <laughs> yeah th- th- these are actual kids not right you know whatever and so the 
there's all these comments about like, oh, this animation to me doesn't look appealing because the kids look like kids. One tweet, which went viral, thankfully for the right reasons, which is kids don't act like this. And it was the most like, wow, just out yourself as somebody who doesn't ever interact with children because you don't go outside kind of moment. They're like, there's no way kids act like this. These kids are annoying. And it's just like, this is what, what? kids are like, dude. Yeah. This is these are children. And all these people were like, this this movie is just a kid's movie. It doesn't really do anything. It's blah, blah, blah. It's not, you know, transformative or whatever. That's one of the big responses, which is people who are just shocked and amazed that a Pixar film isn't going for an Oscar. It's just a movie about kids or whatever. The other thing is there's some people who they are a little shocked by it. They're, they're having they are a little shocked at the material because they feel it's a little too inappropriate. And, but it's like, it's comes off in a very weird way where they, it comes off very, I don't like movies that are about girls having periods kind of thing versus genuinely concerned about the content, which it seems like a lot of people who are uncomfortable with subject matter. Like you can have 50 movies about a boy becoming a superhero or whatever, but you make one movie about a girl who is going experiencing something changes. that all women experience across <laughs> yes, the entire planet. One of the most universal experiences in the world. And suddenly it's just weird. Like they don't like that. She's acting rebellious, that she's going against her parents, even though every kid's movie about a boy has the exact same character arc. Bruce um, Wayne was rebellious against Alfred. He's basically his dad. So <laughs> and everyone loves that guy. I love Batman. It's great. <laughs> turning red. Oh, I don't like kids. <laughs> it's But it's weird Lame. because every Disney princess has done the same thing, right? Like that's, that's what Aladdin is. That's what Mulan is. But you see the difference is they don't have a time of the month. They are animated ideals. Yeah. And I, I, again, I don't want to like, I'm sure there's some good faith criticisms out there that just didn't like the movie. That's fine. But these are some, and then there's one, there's one infamous review now, which I don't want to enter the dog pass. I don't want to name who they, they are, but they made a review about how they didn't like the movie because they felt it was too focused on this Asian American experience. I've even seen letterbox reviews talking about that review. That's how infamous oh, this that's is. That's how ubiquitous like, it is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And they're like, well, I just feel like I didn't connect with it. And it's just like, well, Hey, that's not a, that's not a mark against the movie for being about subject matter. You don't understand. You know, nobody's like a negative review of Armageddon is like, I've never been an astronaut. I'm never going to space. This movie doesn't make any sense to me. It's they're like, it's too focused on this Asian Canadian, I guess, Asian Canadian experience. Which is, A, I feel like the movie completely works even if you don't have the same cultural background. That's a weird thing to say. Because as a movie about someone turns into a panda, I feel like it totally works that level too. It works as a superhero origin story. She basically has superpowers. She can like fly just by transforming. They have that great like moment where you finally are in control of your powers and you find yourself moment where she's just seamlessly transforming in and out of being a panda to get to the concert. Great scene. It's great. But yeah, I, I don't think that's a fair criticism to say that it's too focused on one experience because every movie is focused on a singular experience. That's what movies are. But also, I think it does it in a way that's very accessible to most audiences. Like, clearly, the broad strokes here are universal, which is you have a kid who doesn't quite feel like their parents understand them and they're trying to find their own way during a point of their life where they realize they're becoming individuals. And at the end of the movie, they learn to understand each other, respect each other's boundaries, and uh, celebrate each other because mother, daughter, they love each other hugs. I think that's a totally fine story that even if you're not Chinese, (laughs) you'll understand. So those are most of the responses I've seen. I'm sure there's other outliers out there, but film, film and animation Twitter had this weird moment where 
half of it realized that someone made a movie that wasn't aimed at 30 year olds who watch cartoons. It was made aimed at parents with children and children who watch cartoons. And it was just a weird day on animation Twitter. This movie was getting hate before it even came out because the animation wasn't lush pseudo Ghibli style. It was just a animation. I think the animation of this movie is great. I don't know what everyone's issue was. I think it's okay. I mean, I remember when Luca's trailer came out and I thought to myself, that kind of looks like illumination. It looks flat and it looks like they're on one plane where characters interact on the single plane and then stuff in the backgrounds like a stage and nothing's in the foreground. I didn't watch Luca, so I can't talk beyond that. But when I saw the trailer compared to watching Soul and Onward, which the animation in those is like unbelievable, Soul in particular, to the point that I really would have liked if Soul was just like a mini series and never did any of the space time soul stuff like i just would have loved to watch a drama set in new york animated by pixar me too i i really yeah uh when i saw the trailer for this i thought the same thing in the sense that it's like kind of looks like luca where everything's sort of flat and watching the film it never distracted me which is fine and i understood like the the pastel color palette helps bring out the characters which have more solid colors and it's funny uh, well actually the only times i ever were, were pull out pulled out of the animation was when the animation was really realistic like soul like they do the um ever popular thing right now where characters are sad in a car and the camera's outside looking in through the window and you get the reflection of the lights i was like whoa that looks real which is very different from the fact that everybody looks like a dumpling <laughs> and so doesn't look that good um i mean it looks good but it was jarring so in a, in a way it didn't feel right um so I don't know. It was, it was really strange to me. I think there was just a tone in terms of animation style that felt a little confused. Um, that doesn't mean it's poorly animated because it's Pixar and there are parts where the characters move so fluently like a human that it actually was really uh, impressive. Um, but then again, it's also like, as I just was saying that I thought, but that j- was jarring to me because everything looks so much like a cartoon living in a fake world where you can do whatever you want. And then this moment of realism appears. Um, I don't know. I think I'm alone in thinking this way about it, Um, which is fine, I guess. But yeah, I don't know. I, that's what I thought about the animation. Thank you for coming to this episode. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I thought like, yeah, it's not like the most gorgeous, luscious movie I've ever seen, but I think what they're going for, they've achieved where with something like onward or even soul, uh, so much of the story is the location like onward takes place in a fantasy world. Soul is very much a movie about place in a lot of ways. And turning red is very much a story focused on the characters and they were just trying to make it look like Canada. So I, I, I think they, their focus was on the transformation between may may from turning to a panda giant red panda and the kids looking like kids and um, being all distinct. So yeah, Pixar hasn't in recent years, they've never done anything that really pop popped for me. Like I thought Luca looked really beautiful for what it was, which is it has this very light place that feels like a little village. And I think it really achieves that, but yeah, I mean, I, I think for the, for the movie, this is the animation is, I wouldn't say average. I think it's good for what it is, but yeah, it doesn't blow me away, but I don't think they're trying to at the same time. Sure, Absolutely. I mean, cause soul 
part of the part of the purpose of soul was like mindfulness. So, and mindfulness is about taking in setting and surrounding. So they, they had to go crazy with that. They had to render (laughs) incredibly detailed locations for that movie uh, or else part of its purpose and theme would be lost. And in turning red, the setting doesn't particularly matter as much. I, people keep saying it's Canadian. I don't see what in particular makes it very Canadian other than, Wow, our protagonist wore a t-shirt with a leaf on it. How cool. Um, I got all the other stuff in terms of um, Asian uh, descent affecting the characters, but Canadian, I didn't see much. But maybe that's just the American and American. There we go. Maybe that's the <laughs> USA in me speaking. So who knows? I just, everything about the movie. So I, I was expecting more in terms of something controversial because the, the discourse around the movie was so heated. And so negative. I did see some letterbox reviews before the movie came out because people will just like share comments of what they thought in the trailer. And like someone had already rated the movie low because they didn't like the trailer and was like, I'm not going to even see it, which I'd never really seen before with a movie trailer before where people were already making their decision. Is Pixar in the stage where Marvel phase two was where everyone was is tired of it? Like because they've been doing two movies a year at this point for the last three years. But I think part of that was just because. 2020 happened and they were like, uh, uh, we need something, <laughs> put something out. And they just would, they need to put stuff on streaming. The, I don't know. There is some, there's some light, uh, Pixar pushback. Uh, I don't know why it's so hard for me to say, but the Pixar, Pixar pushback, pushback, uh, some people feel that the most recent slate of Pixar films hasn't been up to snuff where, Compared to movies like Up and Wally, and maybe cetera, because they're getting maybe because people are growing up and their interests are changing. I think that's part of it. I think Pixar is also just telling different stories. So Pixar was initially trying to be, in some ways, prestige Disney, where like Disney was very focused on making films that sold lots of toys and they can make theme park rides out of, and so on and so forth, and also make good movies along the way. Though Disney is very up and down quality wise, Pixar was the batting a thousand every movie they put out was yeah man that cars trilogy everyone loves cars trilogy they didn't sell any toys cars was considered like the low point the first one (laughs) right and that was still a good film but that was the outlier and cars 2 was the first sequel they ever made outside of toy story 2 which itself has an interesting story of how it got made where they only the movie only got made because Pixar made a rough cut of a movie with scratch track voice acting that they showed to the entire cast. And if they liked the movie, then they agreed to sign on to make a sequel to Toy Story. And then they liked Toy Story 2 so much that they just remade it with Toy Story 3. Toy Story 3 is a great movie. Have you heard the comparisons between the two and how they're almost virtually the same movie? I have not. It's fascinating. There's a side by side that someone did and it's almost beat for beat the same film with just a slight change. It's Brilliant. Anyways, keep going. <laughs> Pixar yeah. knowledge. People not people turning on Pixar. Why? 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 Yeah. Why? So yeah, Pixar. Pixar had an insane run. Like they, the the number of films they put out that were just consistently won the Academy Award for Best Animated Feature that were critically acclaimed. I think multiple ones that had like ninety eight, ninety nine percent Rotten Tomatoes. Um, they consistently were able to resist Disney trying to force them to make uh, things that were for merchandising with cars being the only one they ever did cars of course in of turn of fate was the their most profitable film they ever made because of the merchandising they got out of it right. and then though when disney's influence got stronger 
that's when we started seeing stuff sequels like all the time monsters university incredibles 2 toy story 4 etc and so there's been that slight feeling that pixar has been corrupted by disney with you get fewer inside outs and more you know planes <laughs> or whatever more and good so, dinosaurs or good dinosaurs which was an attempt to return to classic kind of pixar style storytelling which I thought that was an okay movie, but it was didn't quite recapture the magic, so to speak. And so, to be fair, like Pixar has seen a shift. Part of it is because a lot of the original people that worked on these movies, like Brad Bird and stuff, have moved on to other projects and have moved from the company to other things. So there, and so there has been a a shift both behind the scenes as well. But I think Pixar is also opening it up. They're widening their horizons and telling different types of stories. Where I think stories like Luca and Turning Red are interesting and have value in their own right for just being different. And I I think now more than ever, it's better to have a wider palette of different stories rather than one studio consistently putting out one or two really solid bangers every year. I'd rather have four distinctly different feeling movies every year, for example, instead, especially in a landscape that's becoming more and more homogenized in general. Yes. Where even turning red has, superhero stuff superhero undertones and into it which listen there is a beam of light in the sky (laughs) i rolled my eyes it's it's a pontiac silver dome right that's what they're who knows it's where it is where the rock fought hulk hogan at wrestlemania 18 oh wow one of the great one of the greatest matches of all time in my opinion but (laughs) it's really this is why people listen to cinematic doctrine is to get your Get my feelings on WrestleMania from like 15 years ago, <laughs> or gosh, it's been longer. It's I'm getting old, but but yeah, if you've listened to even 30 seconds of our show, you know that I I enjoy superhero stuff. But gosh darn it, <laughs> like it's time for something else. So I I don't know. I think yeah, I think there is an element where people are growing up, they're getting older, and it's harder to please them with children's media. So maybe it's time to watch something like the house on Netflix or run, or there are still animated things aimed at adults, but also you can watch movies featuring human being, physical actors right. <laughs> that tell stories yeah. aimed at there's a soprano show on HBO max that you might enjoy. <laughs> there's yeah, there's <laughs> you can watch the wire or breaking bad. And I get that. Like there are certain things that animation does that, live action doesn't funnily enough part of why so many animated shows get so much um, fandom from certain parts of the internet is because animated shows weirdly have a higher amount of certain types of uh, representation like for Mm -hmm. example in this movie Mm -hmm. two different characters have diabetic patches like they're not it's it's never the attention is never drawn to them but that's a thing in the movie that people noticed and appreciated because it's just not something you see in a lot of media where someone with diabetes is just featured, you know, it's just not a thing, but like people in animation tend to ha- highlight these things for whatever reason. So mm-hmm. yeah, I understand that. I understand that. I understand that, but you also can't get mad at Disney for making movies for Disney's audience when you have like thousands upon thousands upon thousands of other things you'd be watching it's just very weird. It's like they went to McDonald's and got upset that they got burgers. You know, it's just, it's a very yeah. weird way to react to the world. Totally. Where it's like, how, like, what is wrong with them? Why, why aren't they making 
lush un you know unblemished masterpieces like studio ghibli or whatever which a studio ghibli has put out some sneakers recently let's all be honest with ourselves but like yeah okay like anime and eastern animation tends to be different and tends to be a little more mature in some regards fine but like don't get mad at western animation audiences for making animation for western animation audience i worded that weird but you know what i'm saying don't Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it's still better than illumination and dreamworks or whatever so i don't know absolutely this has been my rant for the day about the weirdness of animation fans and their weird defensiveness i do think part of it too is there's also a thing of like i i I can't speak i don't want to speak too I don't want to speak in such blanket statements that I, everyone feels like I'm calling them out, but but it is a podcast, which means you get the license. I think you got the card in the mail that says you can do blanket statements. I can, can just make horrible generalizations. I think for some people, I'm just going to say like this: some people, they're holding on to things that bring them comfort. Like there's there's a very strong Simpsons fandom on Twitter, for example, that gets really defensive whenever you criticize even recent modern Simpsons. Uh, there is when they did the Simpsons Disney Plus short came out recently. That was just awful. There are some people that were like, people are people are blah 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 because everyone's like, wow, this is just feels cold and sad that Simpsons is shilling for Disney now since Disney bought them or whatever. And there's some people that got extremely mad and angry, like, how dare you? Simpsons has made fun of Disney in the past, blah blah blah. And putting aside that all the stuff there it was you definitely get the impression that some people like simpsons is something's really important to them it's precious to them they you know simpsons is something that from their childhood has remained a constant and for them it's this link to their past it's like their childhood it's this comfort food that brings them comfort in cold cold nights and so anyone who attacks their precious baby is attacking them and i think to some extent that's how people feel about pixar changing where this thing from the childhood, they remember watching their Finding Nemo VHS tape or whatever, the Toy Story VHS tape at their parents' house. And now Pixar is changing and that makes them sad. And anyone who makes fun of Pixar is attacking them or whatever. And that's the weird thing about animation Twitter is it's like you can never just criticize a movie or a show. You're criticizing an entire company and its legacy. And how dare you take shots at Pixar and Disney that gave you your childhood, et cetera, et cetera. And guys, it's just movies. They're just movies. The people that made Toy Story aren't even there anymore. One of them was Joss Whedon, in case you forgot. <laughs> so I think you occasionally you get these conversations where people are complaining that the Mandalorian isn't more violent or something. And it's just maybe you should stop expecting children's media to become adult media. Yeah, maybe you should accept it for what it is. Which is, you know, it's one thing, I mean, before before this gets thrown in our face, like, I like you take like the Marvel Netflix shows, which began as adult entertainment and could potentially get morphed into something else versus Star Wars has always been aimed at a general family audience. So I don't know what you're expecting, but like at a broader level, just stop going to Pixar and Disney to make movies for 40 year olds. Go watch movies that are made for 40 year olds. If yeah. that's what you want. And don't, you know, holding up turning red and get complaining that it both is too mature for five-year-olds and not mature enough for 25-year-olds is going to an art museum and yelling at the paintings because they're not moving and they're not like TV shows or getting upset at McDonald's for not giving you a steak. 
go to a thing for the thing that it is and judge it on those merits and not some other completely arbitrary set of things. And don't watch a movie and be like, wait, this movie has a section about periods. That's gross. I hate this movie. One out of 10. That is small brain. Also don't do that. Yeah. (laughs) That is extremely small brain. So overall, would you uh, recommend turning red? Absolutely. To my 35 year old brother who doesn't have children. (laughs) It's a, well, we had a friend in our chat group who watched it, and first they said, I feel like I shouldn't be watching this. <laughs> so I think they were recognizing <laughs> that it was very much a kid's film. But then... And then they finished it. We're uh, like, hey, that was great. I'm a townie now. <laughs> cute. Eight out of ten. Oh, we didn't mention this. <laughs> Billie Eilish and her writing partner wrote all the music for the boy band in this movie. And once you hear it, you're like, oh, that does kind of sound like Billie Eilish. So... Yeah, listen to the soundtrack on Spotify. And become a townie like all of us, <laughs> the rest of us. We didn't talk much about the plot, uh, mostly because A, it's, it is kind of spoilery, but also it's kind of beside the point. The big the big fight at the end in the cute way that the whole situation resolves, that was very sweet. It is a sweet movie. I did, uh, like, I, I got emotional when, when they started talking, when they, when they were talking about how... Um, the movie displays that a lot of the negative self-talk and the negative, I don't know how to, dis- to to call it, but the abstract way that May communicates with herself, all of that negativity is built around, alongside, yes, her mother's love, but the, 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 the incorrect or the unhelpful ways her mom has been uh, trying to raise her child. And then the thing that helps May control the panda, control her have self-control is feeding herself with affirmations that she knows she gets from her friends. I thought that was great. What did you think about that? Like the emotional stuff in the film? Cause that seems to be a Pete doctor. As, he was a producer, I guess this, like yeah. the big lead yeah. of Dis- Pixar now. Like he seems to be really hampering in on emotions. Obviously he did inside out, but like he seems to really like the more abstract ethereal stuff of the mind and putting those in his Pixar movies. I mean, goodness, I mean, Scanlon directed Onward, but Onward is a lot about what do you think, <laughs> that kind of stuff, what's in your mind. So what did you think about that in the film? I will say the one thing I appreciated is I do really like that the pressures that Mamie's mother puts on her and criticizes her for are hereditary. Yeah, I thought where, that too. Yes. <laughs> it, it, it starts with this great little moment where the whole movie her mom has been so tough on her dislikes boy bands. Cause they're there's gyrating. It's the word she used. Uh, doesn't want her to do any of the stuff. The only reason they can, they can get away with hiding certain things is they tell that she's going to an after school math program. But then like the instant their grandmother gets in the picture, she's scared of, scared of her mom. Her mom's scared of her mom, her grandmother. And it's the same thing. And there's a cycle of all of the daughters in this family line feel like they're not good enough and they feel like they will never live up to their expectations and it shows a really subtle but effective way where Mamie's mom is trying to paradoxically protect her from failure because she herself feels like she's a failure because her mother was also trying to control her and so like the way that goes through the family line is both very real um, that is very close to how my mother and I kind of uh, had a dynamic for a long time. The, yeah, I definitely related to that very deeply. And I like that 
inadvertently she's driven her daughter into the arms of her friends in a lot of ways because they give her the positive support that she wants. They are the ones who believe in her. They're the ones who, you know, are supportive in the way that she specifically kind of needs to be supported in this situation while her mom's solutions are very like, we're just going to pull you from school. We're going to do this. We're going to hide you away. We're going to lock you in a room so you can get the panda thing under control. Her friends are like, this is great. This is awesome. You're awesome. We love you. Yeah. And it's, it's just something very sweet about it, but it's also very sad. And I'm glad that that kind of was resolved by the end of the movie. Yes. Where, yeah, it's, I think some people are worried that Disney and Pixar films have this angle of ongoing child rebellion against their parents slash disrespect for parents slash um, loving yourself to an unhealthy degree kind of stuff, which maybe that's movies to an extent because they kind of have to be broad in their applications by nature. But obviously if you're a parent, you should watch movies with your kids so they could talk about the stuff together because yeah, there's a way that you can interpret the movie to be anti-parent, anti-whatever. But I think that's not, I don't think that's what they're going for in this case. I think that's another small brain perspective. <laughs> I think, if you watched it thinking exclusively that, especially at the end with how yeah, May and I, her mom resolve, I th- which was really sweet. I, I agree. I agree that that's not a accurate take on what they're doing. But at the same time, like that's part of, it's part of being a parent is you sit down with your kid, you watch a movie and you go, okay, like what is something that you're ashamed of that you're afraid to tell me? What is something what is a way in which we can support you being who you are, but what are ways in which like, what is b- bad behavior you've seen? Like, how are we different from what you've seen here? Cause I think the movie does a good job of, of portraying the fact that the reason that she's not going to her mom for these things is because her mom is making certain mistakes that can alienate her child away from her. You know, I think it, I think it's very clear that this is not for various reasons, a typical dynamic, not every family has a panda curse that causes them to transform <laughs> if they get really mad uh, or sad or yeah, whatever. I thought that was more common. No. Yeah, I think I think every kid's movie also is to an extent, and I think we've gotten into this in other reviews in the past, but there's an element where children's films are also playing to a child fantasy where every kid wants to imagine that they're, they're someone special, that there is that the reason they're making the decisions they're making is because they're doing something really big and important and they're actually a big hero who's going to go off and do something else and their parents just don't understand and so kids films play into that fantasy a little bit where wouldn't it be crazy if the reason that your parents are sending you home uh, sending you to your room and grounding you is actually because you're a superhero and you're actually totally right and awesome like yeah okay like of course kids kids media is going to play to that fantasy because kids want also like escapism and fantasy that's just a thing but you know, I think I think people may be a little overacting a little bit. And if and if you're worried your kid's going to turn rebellious from watching Turning Red, um, you know, I don't know, get good at parenting. <laughs> what is is parenting the new Dark Souls? You just got to get good. <laughs> I liked how it resolved in the sense that, like, well, I definitely related to the idea of like when you're a child and you're enduring the hardships and poor parenting of your of your parent because your parent doesn't do everything right. Um, some, sometimes they succeed in other areas they don't. And in this particular case, we're at a pivotal point in the character's life where they're really wrestling with the fact that their parent is doing things that don't, that aren't giving them appropriate space. And, and fa- in fact, in, ch- in terms of child development, this is all secondhand because my wife is the one who studies all this stuff or has studied it. 
every like three or four years, there's a new stage in in human development, child development, but yeah, human development of broadening uh, perspective and, and horizon and becoming more, having more agency over and over. And 13, that kind of age is the next stage of becoming more independent, finding out who you are. What are your talents? Who do you want to be? It's easy to undermine those things because we're all adults and we know that that's like when you're 13, who you are at 16 is totally different. But that's how you get to 16 is by exploring through the ages 13 to 15. And if you're not permitted to experience those things passively or naturally, it 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 stunts development, <laughs> like seriously. Um, and part of uh, part of this movie can express that too, as um, when we learn that. Uh, well, so in terms of the very little plot we've already shared, but if you're listening to this episode already to an hour long, you've seen the movie for sure. We learned that uh, the whole family, of course, has had to endure becoming a panda and then can lock it away inside of a gem, which uh, side note that basically Power Rangers scene where all of the relatives destroy their pendants to become pandas was so awesome. We learned that the the mother was uh, hurt her mom hurt her gra- hurt the grandmother when she was a panda and felt so much um which the grandmother has a scar which when we learned the size of the panda that she was i don't know if an eye scar is the only thing I you think, do. I, is, is the implication <laughs> they're both pandas and they're fighting they could have been um but that would imply that the grandmother sealed her panda away later because the the narrative implies yeah. that you have to seal it away the first blood moon that arrives but that you know I don't know why they put that rule in when clearly you could just destroy your pendant and then seal it away again later. But uh, you need to have some sort of um, uh, something to look forward to, which they already had with the four town plot of like, well, I don't want to be a panda by then. That would add enough urgency. But anyways, 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 anyways. There is a stunted development to the shame that's experienced as a child that she has when she hurts her mom, who then would, which would then probably cause her to turn away and say, no, mom was always right. I didn't need to, I having this freedom and self-expression is dangerous. So I'm going to lock it away, which then when she has her daughter, May May is then restricting it her to her because she's maybe afraid for herself. Like the panda is going to hurt me just like I hurt my mom or it's going to hurt others. So I don't want that to happen. Part of, part of development is failure, um, is doing things and doing things incorrectly. Now, it's important to ensure that you know there aren't fatal consequences or people aren't getting hurt in your failure, but part of development and growth is going down pathways, learning that they weren't helpful or potentially dangerous, and then stepping away from those. And having that experience is important. And I'm sure that that's a very hard thing to balance as a parent. I'm not one, so I don't know. But figuring out what battles to fight. So when to permit your child to go down a certain way so that they can learn something on their own um, and when not to. So like running on concrete, should you just let your kid at least run on concrete and skin their knee a few times so that they learn to run better? Or do you just say, no, you can only play on the grass. I don't know. Um, But I think that, that that's part of what makes the movie good is that it's a kid's movie through and through, like you said, being accessible for family and kids. And I think the drama and characters are de- have enough depth for everyone to get involved where kids can watch May and connect with her, which I also saw on Letterboxd. Someone was 
again, I think it's really strange. The film is the big talking point is exclusively how Canadian Asian it is. I just thought the film was uh, maybe it's because my media literacy is good enough that I can watch almost anything and connect and understand certain things. But this particular reviewer on Letterboxd was talking about how they just connected with it because the character of May was a young, uh, a good representation of a young girl. And they had grown up being a young girl. So it was natural for them to connect with that character. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, it's interesting in that way. But uh, yeah, I I like uh, at the end, of course, the resolution being that May can continue to be frustrated with her mom and rebel, but that's obviously not what she wants. Ultimately, she wants to be with her mom. She even says it with her friends where it's like, I had to choose between disappointing my mom, which I never really want to do, or disappointing my friends, but I found out that that hurt worse. And then even at the end, she doesn't necessarily disappoint her mom because she actually helps her mom grow through the emotional stress that she had as a child which was, uh, I thought, really well handled when they animate as they're walking past trees and she's uh, her mom is a, is a young girl becoming a teenager or like 20-year-old and then a mom, her mom again, which I loved. I loved all that because I think that's a much more natural, I think that's a more normal depiction of healthy relationships between kids and, a, and parents is that parents aren't just raising children, but the children help the parent grow and mature as well. No, I think it's a, I, I don't, I think that's a very, that's part of the, I, I consider that part of the, that's part of the story. That's part of the development. And that's part of what works. I mean, I I've heard someone describe CS Lewis's literature totally changes between when he had no kids and when he has kids and the way he communicates about love and relationships is completely different between the two. It was either him or it was uh, <laughs> another theologian, but it was you know one of those dead white guys that we all like. Um, here, here, here's my hot take. Here's my here's my hot take. You shouldn't hate kids because they help you develop as an adult. I th- I think children are part of the Christian sanctification process. Oh, for sure. That's not a hot take at all. <laughs> no, listen, listen. <laughs> but I'd like to hear why you say that. <laughs> part of God's design for humanity which is not always the case. God caused some people to singleness, et cetera, et cetera. But I think part of the design is like children teach us self-sacrifice. They teach us to put others before ourselves. They teach us to let go of things, teach us priorities. They remind us of the importance of a reliance on God. And I know so many people that they have lukewarm faith and then they have kids and they realize Oh my gosh! I need to get right with Jesus. I need I need to make sure that I am in a good place so that my children will be in a good place, and it's just part of the design. What I is think. a better representation? I mean, we we understand that humanity is built in God's image, but what better way to start understanding that more and more than producing a child essentially, quote unquote, in your own image? I mean, well, that just poetically makes sense, naturally makes sense, um, and you would. It would make sense that you would start learning more about God in how you raise a child who is like you and reflects who you are, that kind of thing. The reason I'm saying this is kind of a hot take. I think beyond thinking, I think it's funny to say you have a hot take and then just say complete nonsense after, but (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I have a hot take. Uh, Pixar animates movies well. (laughs) They're pretty good. (laughs) I think there's a lot of superhero movies these days. I think part of the tragedy we're seeing now in society is for various reasons. Everyone has valid reasons for that. I have kids now. I, I, we, my wife and I are currently 
just not in a place in our life where we think it's time. Uh, not that I need to justify it to look complete strangers on the internet. <laughs> you don't know that. I could have five kids. You don't know this. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a ghost. I'm a mystery. I don't think it's time to have a ninth child. I'm the lizard king. <laughs> um, but like, I think part of what we're seeing in general, I think, is more and more people, fewer and fewer people having children or they're waiting till much later in life to have children or they cannot afford to have children right now. And it's a compounding problem where the prolification of media that's for children that is paradoxically being marketed and made for also adults and people in their thirties is we have delayed adolescence. We have people who are maturing at a possibly slower rates or are not growing up or are in a place in their lives where the point of life that was designed to become a nurturing parent is not becoming that. And they're doing something else, which is neither a good nor bad thing. That's just the reality of what we're facing. And I think a lot of people are missing out on an important part of the sanctification process in their lives. And some are omitting it entirely. Some are waiting and are learning things in their thirties and forties that they probably wish they learned in their twenties and so on and so forth. I will obviously also be in that category probably mm-hmm. <laughs> so this is just the reality and so it is part of the unfortunate situation that we're in where you have people who you know they're they live with five roommates and they're 25 and they're in horrible debt so they're not exactly gonna have kids anytime soon <laughs> and so like you know that's just that's just where we're at but I, I think it's part of the process that we're supposed to have you know i am um, i when i was an inpatient pretty much everybody I knew they didn't really want to have kids if they didn't already have any. And there was actually a distinct time while I was there when I actually realized I really wanted to have kids. And it was a distinct difference between when I had no hope and when I did have hope um, that totally changed. Because having children, I think, is evidence of hope. Right. You, you got to think some, something good's happening eventually if you want to put more kids in the world. Yeah. Right? And that's there was like a... Uh, what passage were we going? I think it was like Exodus 6. I think it's Exodus 6 at church when talking about Moses. Currently, Moses would is currently in the canon. Uh, Got to wait till the next episode. But uh, no, uh, at the time, Moses is panicking about going to Pharaoh because he's like, I don't speak well. He won't believe me. Israel, or not Israel, but the, the enslaved Israel won't doesn't believe uh, Moses and God are going to help him because Pharaoh's making everything worse. Yada, yada, yada whatever. Then uh, Exodus six happens, and it starts talking about the lineage of of um, from Levi to Moses and beyond. And at the, this point in the narrative, historically, some of the people listed haven't been born yet. Um, and so, for those reading, it's uh, a moment in the story of reinforcement of like, no, Moses was born at the right time. It's going to work. Trust the Lord. And then also, here's how you can know that it's going to work out. Here's people born later and uh, specific details about them. There's a lot to take in with that passage and the pastor at the time who preached on it covered a lot of bases. But when we went over the passage five minutes into the sermon, I was getting emotional because what I was reading was all their, their families having children. And that I'm sure if you were an enslaved people, uh, you wouldn't want to have kids because you'd be thinking, <laughs> I'm just going to have a child who's now enslaved and forced to work for the Egyptians. Um, and yet here's all these people producing kids. Um, and I think that when I was communicating with a lot of people at the center, um, a lot of people didn't want to have children because they didn't have hope for the future because of things like climate change or 
Jeff Bezos being a, a villain in the world or um, because of systematic problems or racism and things like that. And all of these reasons, I think, are frankly quite valid. Uh, contrasted to the fact that almost everyone I've known who's around my age who goes to the church is like having kids already and almost has no reason not to because they never would think through, uh, maybe I wouldn't say never would think through, but their reasons for having children outweigh, in their hope, I would say, outweigh the fear that they may have, or maybe they don't necessarily have the same fears as other people. I, I don't necessarily have a penultimate thesis statement on that. I just think it's an interesting observation regarding hope and regarding, um, yeah, I guess you could say development, because if you're, I, th- I think there's a lot to learn through seeing the world the way children see the world. I mean, the first time children see an elephant or learn about them, they're like, what the heck? Look how big <laughs> that thing is. And it's like, yeah. yeah, that is pretty cool, isn't it? That like God has made something so wonderful. And, and I think there's a joy that I think there's a joy that Gen Y, yes, millennials, are trying to recreate by not having children themselves, by probably engaging in children's media all the time. And it's just sort of counterfeit um, because it's like- Or they just have pets that they just treat like children. Yeah. Which I do. I have a cat. Yes, I do. (laughs) And I also treat him like a child. Uh, But it's also because Milo seems to really understand a lot of what Catherine would say. (laughs) I love it. Like, (laughs) listen, my cat is special. (laughs) It is really strange. Uh, But man, is he a needy guy. Um, see, I even talk, I saw, I call them little hands. <laughs> like I don't use a person. I really do communicate like that. I, and I would, I want to clarify for our listeners. This is probably the most like bluntly, like, listen, we are Christians this is a Christian perspective because like most people, we, we have to, hope, we have a hope for the future. And so it's easy, I think for us to communicate about yeah, to have kids. The, the overwhelming majority of people I talk to who mentioned they don't have kids. Honestly, the reason they give me is like, I just don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to have to take care of a kid. I want to be able to do whatever I want, whenever I want. I want to use my income for the things I want. I don't want to have to work, like not go to the movies because I have to get, find a babysitter. I want to be able to play video games as much as I want. That, that perspective I haven't heard. That I have heard that a lot. From a yeah, lot I haven't right really now. heard that. And I've heard... Like I've, I have a coworker who was like, I just think if someone's choosing to have a kid, are they mature enough to have one? <laughs> and I was like, set about, uh, like I don't know if that really works. <laughs> That's <laughs> a little cyclical. It's kind of like, uh, if you want to have a job, are you mature enough to have a job? Right. <laughs> like, uh, uh, I think in, in the olden days, it seemed like it was more just an accident <laughs> yeah. as opposed to, did you really want to? Um, but I mean, Christians are called to be self-sacrificial people. And there is nothing more self-sacrificial than saying the creation like, mandate still stands. Like populate yeah, the fruitful so. multiply has <laughs> gone, has been removed from scriptures. My last I checked and <laughs> we're, we're called, you know, you're called to put aside your own desires and say like, listen, I'm not going to have as much disposable income as you should have. I'm not going to have as much free time as I used to have. I'm not gonna be able to go out and hang out and, you know, have brewskis with the boys on Saturdays anymore <laughs> because I have a small non cat baby <laughs> at home who might die if I don't look at it every six hours. So this is what I'm doing. Like I am putting aside my own wants and desires to care for something else, both because this is what scripture has commanded, but also because this is the good and right thing to do. And if that doesn't sound like something you want to do, 
that's fine. You know, like that's, that's your life to live, you know? And if, if you're, if you didn't have, if you were not bound by scripture the way I am, and you know, believe and so on and so forth, then yeah, everything I'm saying sounds crazy and nonsensical. And why would you just suddenly up the amount of money you need to spend while lowering the amount of income you can make if, all at once? If your reason for having a child in the next year is because you listen to this episode, I'm going to just say right now, don't do that. <laughs> this is not the right reason saying, to have a child. <laughs> If oh, you man. hear one thing from me on this show, <laughs> produce children. <laughs> I, I would love uh, if someone. I'd love to meet the person who at you. doesn't like our show enough to support. Here's my Patreon, new child, Sindok. Yeah. <laughs> no. If you have a child because of this episode, you get to pick one movie review. We don't vote, we don't vote on it on the Patreon poll. You get right up there, you know. I but I like I, I, I want to meet the person who like hasn't written into us, doesn't support us on Patreon, but for some reason really latched onto the thing about kids where they're like, they support us enough not to financially support us, but they do to have a kid that first name Melvin's middle name, Dan. And <laughs> <laughs> Last name doctrine. <laughs> uh, we changed our names to doctrine. <laughs> uh, this is a nightmare. I don't like this. This is terrible. Oh, All I'm man. saying is I thought turning red was pretty good. And yes, it it is a great kids film and if you don't like kids i get it i'm not a huge fan myself even though i want to have kids and i'm youth ministry you don't have to like other people's kids but if you have your own child i like i think yeah. it's good to endure to like your own <laughs> come on <laughs> when kids are not doing anything or making noises they're totally fine but <laughs> I think you're describing a cat. <laughs> oh, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> I also recommend Turning Red. I think it's pretty fun. I think uh, it's going to line up with my recommendations anyway, even though my recommendations are more like older teen te- or teenage movies, but they're still in line with being more women centric. Yeah, I mean, this is a fun movie. So watch it. I, yeah, it's probably a little more kiddie in terms of Pixar. Like, it's not a movie about two brothers going on an adventure to revive their dead dad while also having conversations about dead dads. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's <laughs> well, laugh a minute, right? Like that was, yeah. <laughs> or, or another movie where an old, uh, a, an older man who plays piano dies in the first five minutes and then has to contemplate life. <laughs> but like, you know, it's still really fun and, and I like it. I think this was, um, this was not a swing and a miss. This is a, Swing at the batting cages. It is very fun. <laughs> what? Because so, it's not a it's what not a pro metaphor? league game. It's just uh it's you're going to the batting cages, you're having a good time. It's not a swing and a miss. It's good. Yeah, I like this movie. What do you have for recommendations, Dan? What's oh, your boring boy. Christian re- recommendation? <laughs> I you better have kids. Every <laughs> every expensive book you recommend, the next day is gonna go down in price. So I choose hope. the right book. I want more books in the hands of <laughs> people. We're going to, I'm going to give one of the most qualified recommendations for a specific reason. And I, I just want to throw this out there. Now, are you familiar, Melvin, with the Apocrypha? Yes. Remind me, though. I've, I remember learning a bit about it and then so didn't. Some of you may be aware um, there are Catholics and there, there are Protestants. And uh, they are separated brethren. We'll just say that. 
Uh, however, in the Catholic biblical canon, there are and is an additional set of books that take place during the intertestamental period between the Old and New Testament. Now, in Protestant tradition, uh, this is considered a period of silence where God did not speak. And uh, however, there were still books being written. However, in Protestants maintain that these are not inspired scripture. There is a big, long reason for this that I will not get into here. However, some of these books are still really valuable as historical documents. For mm-hmm. example, mm-hmm. For the Mac- books of Maccabees document the events that we now use for uh, Hanukkah. I almost said Passover. Uh, Hanukkah. Uh, however, we just don't believe these to be inspired scripture. However, if you are still somebody who is a biblical scholar and would like to learn more about the Apocrypha or thinks that they're interesting, uh, previously I've recommended the Anchor Bible Commentaries, uh, which are put out by... I think double day press, but however, if you just want a quick study Bible that covers Apocrypha as well, there are two now. Hence my qualified recommendation. The scholarship for both these study Bibles is quite liberal. They fall into like JEPD type thinking, which is they believe that the Bible was sourced from multiple sources. Uh, some of them hold to the idea of a Q source, which are just positions that I personally do not agree with. If you fall into these positions, you know, I respect you as a a brother in Christ. However, I do not agree with that. However, the New Interpreter Study Bible, which is put out by Abington Press, uh, includes the Apocrypha. And as a study Bible source on the Apocrypha, it's quite good. Um, the scholarship is top notch. Um, like I said, it's liberal scholarship. However, liberal scholarship for books I don't believe are inspired scripture. I'm totally fine with that. So... <laughs> If you just want a good study Bible, just for a, if you're the type of person who likes to get a, a counterpoint, like you like hearing a more uh, liberal, less literal take on the Bible, as a, a companion to a solid, more uh, conservative, conservative view of Scripture, it's interesting. But also, if you're just somebody who wants to learn more about the Apocrypha and but you know doesn't want to get a whole commentary or anything, this is a great way to get a quick reference and learn a thing or two about the Apocrypha. So. The New Interpreter Study Bible, it is a study Bible version of the Interpreter's Bible uh, commentary set, also put up by Abington Press, which I do not recommend for the reasons I just mentioned. However, um, as a study Bible, you can get these for relatively cheap. I got one for about 15 bucks online. It's on my shelf. I don't I don't alphabetize my study Bible, so it's sitting right next to my Strong's um, uh, <laughs> key, Hebrew Greek's Keyword Study Bible. And my Thompson Chain Reference Bible. They're always at battle. Yeah. <laughs> They're just fighting each other. Your turn, Melvin. Yeah, I'm recommending some chick flicks. I don't know. I've been enjoying in the last few years watching like more women centric media. I, I enjoy it. I think it's fun. I like uh as I'm understanding it um, more and more about women because I'm married, it tells me a lot more. Uh it gives me a new dynamic of things to explore. I mean, you can only watch some like man be brooding and sad for like two hours a hundred times before it's boring um and by boring, i mean it's almost always boring um i know you liked the batman um <laughs> i uh, i also did not mind the batman but i i like to broaden my horizons also it's more fun uh legally blonde made me laugh the batman did not that's my review put it on the poster um so, but yeah i'm funny is legally blonde <laughs> yeah, that's right uh where are the rules <laughs> Batman only has one rule, (laughs) 
Yeah, so I'm recommending some chick flicks. Uh, I think Legally Blonde is great. I think it's on Netflix right now, so you can check that out. She's All That, Miss Congeniality, Princess Diaries, Mamma Mia, and Mamma Mia 2. If you're an ABBA fan, you'll have a blast with those. I know Mark Kermode loves those movies. <laughs> Absolutely loves them. Um, he, <laughs> You should definitely... Actually, I'm going to, as a subset, check out his uh, reviews on those two. They're really funny. Uh, Easy A, of course, is really great. Emma Stone's always good, so that's a really fun one. <laughs> Easy A is probably the only one I have with Qualifier, but like, still really good. So yeah, check out some chick flicks. I'll probably list like two of those in the recommendations down in the bottom of the show notes, but you've just now received a full list of a couple great ones. And I guess now is the time to also mention Mean Girls, which seems to be the titular one. But yeah, there you go. So I've been playing a little video game. So I'm recommending Horizon Zero Dawn, uh, which I don't know if you played that game. Uh, I played like 20 minutes and was like, wow, I've played this game already before. And so I stopped <laughs> playing. <laughs> I got it for free uh, from a friend. So, uh, but so here's why I'm recommending. I'm, I'm going to recommend it with a very bizarre asterisk. So follow me here. I'm a huge fan of games that have uh, lots of collecting, lots of side quests, and you can sort of do things at your own pace. You and I were just talking about the Arkham games uh, before we went live, and I find the I love that dopamine hit you get when you complete a side quest, you get a bunch of bonuses, and you craft and you make something and you keep going. And so there's lots of games similar to this, uh, such as Red Dead Redemption and uh control was kind of like this for me and some of the far cry games before the series kind of just like lost its way at a certain point uh but so i I got it from a friend i've been playing it a little bit and i I was playing like three or four games all at once i was also playing uh some of the borderlands games but this one's really grabbed me i love the way everything looks i like the setting of it's kind of like the adventure time post-apocalyptic setting a little bit but like there's like robots that are you have to hunt instead of like animals and so i can't wait to figure out what the story is behind those things but for me it's just a great game right at the end of the day i come home from work and i play like for like an hour two hours and i get to feel of satisfaction and i put the controller down and do something with my wife or eat dinner or do something else and so for me it is the unwind game where i play a little bit I learned something. I get a little bit. I get some good story. I get some good uh, dopamine hit from com- completing something within a digital context. Plus, I get to make new stuff. So for me, that's Horizon Zero Dawn. Uh, whatever that version of that game is, I recommend that. So I, you start with this one, and if you don't like it, pick a Bread Dead or another Rocksteady game or whatever. Uh, but that's what I've been playing, and so that's my recommendation. Get a good. good unwind after work game for me it's horizon zero dawn thanks so much for checking out this episode of cinematic doctrine if you enjoyed this episode consider leaving a review and subscribing to the podcast and as mentioned before cinematic doctrine has a patreon for as little as three dollars a month you're opted into a once a month movie poll where you decide a movie we discuss on the podcast There are other unique benefits that come with supporting the podcast, so be sure to check that out at patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine. A special shout out to those who support at the Art House Theater tier on Patreon. Thank you so much, Mom, Dad, Melanie, Sherlyon, and Thomas. You guys are the best, and your continued monetary support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck. 
we've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk. So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.